0: Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the
1: best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 to 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, on your Times Radio app. Now, it's a big day for the Red Box, of course, here on the Red Box Podcast because it's the day when the Chancellor waves the Red Box around. Everyone else is talking about Jeremy Hunt today. So we have spoken to some other Jeremy's who are looking after budgets. Jeremy's who are treasurers of scouts and choirs and Spitfire Boat Clubs. That's, That's coming up in just a moment. Love, I We'll columnist panel uh, as well and of course we'll have PMQs on Pact, where Patrick McGuire and I pause the action live from the House of Commons uh, ahead of the budget statement. Loads of budget coverage, including how it affects you online at the Times. Just go to thetimes.co.uk right now. Uh, Loads and loads of uh, brilliant analysis for you uh, to read. Right, uh, coming up in just a moment, we'll have the columnist panel, Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, including the worst interview they've ever done after Hugh Grant was a bit annoying at the Oscars, so I thought was quite funny. Uh, But first, as it's budget day, it's time for this. We're going on a Jeremy Hunt. Hunt. We're
0: going on a Jeremy Hunt.
2: I've got my binoculars. I've
0: got my binoculars. I'm
2: not scared.
3: I'm not scared.
1: Yes, we've been on a Jeremy Hunt, trying to find other Jeremys who are in charge of budgets to find out how they're making their sums add up. I oh think that's just Radio 4 phoning to see if they can, they can buy this feature in. No, you can't! You can only get this sort of content on, uh, on Times Radio. Right, uh, let's speak to some uh, treasurers of clubs, societies, and associations around the country to find out how they're getting on with the tricky economic conditions. Jeremy Hewlett is treasurer of the Spitfire Boat Club, a rowing club on the River Stour in Canterbury. Morning, Jeremy. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Jeremy Jayley is the Treasurer of Sussex Chorus. Uh, one of the South East leading choirs for performing four times a year in Brighton and Mid-Sussex. Morning, Jeremy.
4: Good morning, Matt.
1: Jeremy Wheeler is Treasurer of the Stafford Walton Phoenix Activities Club for the over 50s in Staffordshire. Morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Matt. And Jeremy Newcomb is the Newton Abbott is from the Newton Abbott Rotary Club in Devon. Jeremy was the treasurer. But he swapped that for the top job. He's now the president. Uh, he's done what Jeremy Hunt's never quite managed. He's got the top job. He's nearly ruining this item. Morning, Jeremy. <laughs> Funny. Good to have you with us. So, Jeremy Hewlett from the Rowing Club. Uh, how uh how are the finances of the club? How's membership going? How are you making your figures add up? Uh well, we um we had a bit of
5: Phoenix. We uh had had a very bad period about five, six years ago. So um but uh Got down to a very low membership, um, but a lot of hard work um, would now back up. Um, so, but money is tight. Um, you know, we can. We're never going to have a comparison between a, a boat club and a, a running a country, but um, we, we've sort of. That's uh, the purpose
1: uh, of this feature, Jeremy. So go with yes, it. Yes, <laughs> well, um, uh,
5: you know, we sort of have a, a limit of how much we can increase our membership fees, stroke taxes, for the chancellor's purposes, <laughs> um, and we've got to be really careful about what we spend our money on um you know in terms of the assets and and things that uh our our club needs you know um and as in society whether you know we value uh the medical care we get and how much we pay nurses and doctors uh you've got to decide where we spend our money
1: um, um me being ignorant of the, the workings of a boat club um what are your main outgoings um there aren't so many
5: variable costs. It's more fixed costs in terms of the boats and uh, or the set equipment that's being yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, which uh, tend to to have a very short shelf life because they're very fragile beasts, and, and there's a lot of debris and uh, uh, stuff uh, in the river that that shouldn't be there, that uh, and pollution, of course, which is a real problem.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, we talked a lot about rivers. How is the River Stour? Um,
5: uh, sort of good and bad. I mean, we, there's been an introduction of um, uh, some, some really good wildlife, and we have the stop Marsh uh, marshes, uh, which are really uh, SSI type area. But there's been a lot of pollution from uh, South East Water, um, uh,
1: and it, it really has affected the tidal stretch of the river. That's really interesting. Thank you. For that. That's Jeremy Hewlett from the Spitfire Boat Club. Let's talk singing now. Jeremy Jayley from the Sussex Chorus. Jeremy, how's your budget looking?
4: Matt, so I think probably what we share uh, most with Mr Hunt is the context. So the COVID pandemic was extremely difficult for the choir. We actually had to down tools for 18 months. And I'm sure you can remember there was quite a lot of um, sometimes dubious restrictions against getting back to singing. So it took us a little longer, perhaps, than many to, to do that. Obviously, with, with a down tooling like that, we had no rehearsals, no concerts, no performances for that whole 18 months. And it meant we lost a whole year of subscriptions and concert income. So as I say, we probably share the difficult context that, that Mr. Hunt is, is, is facing this morning. Um, when we got back to singing in September, 2021, we had some balance sheet difficulties uh, because of that lower income in, um, in, in, in the year before. Uh, and we also had a slightly lower number of members. So I think people were a little bit um, reluctant initially to, uh, to, to come back and sing, you know, still scared about catching the, the virus and also you know they'd gone out of the habit so we had uh, we had that to deal with I suppose uh, that there, there, there's parallels there with uh, uh, intentions to get more people back to work that the Chancellor has but uh, probably on a slightly micro scale. But well, no, I suppose that, that, um,
1: that, that, that's quite a big big thing of it getting people back having got into habits during the pandemic getting people back out there um, I suppose you've got the same thing you've got a similar issue get people back out singing.
4: Uh, absolutely, and there was a lot of reticence, I think early on for a lot of choirs. So I'm I'm pleased to say that actually our efforts, um, particularly around trying to put on accessible concerts that people enjoy coming to listening, to listen to, and therefore. Um, through that getting uh, get, get, getting more people interacting with the choir and thinking about singing etc yeah. has has helped um, but yes it, it was difficulty actually getting members along is probably more of a longer contextual issue that the choir has alas singing these days is not as popular I think as it once was which is a great shame because it's got great mental health benefits great you know sort of physical benefits in terms of getting out and stretching the body uh, and it's a lot of fun especially when you are performing fantastic choral works as as we are and you know getting people along to to perform to yeah
1: jeremy janey thank you for that the treasurer of uh, sussex chorus uh, what about the uh, stafford walton phoenix activities club jeremy wheeler what's this how is your budget looking
6: yes good morning mac i think we're doing rather well A few years ago, before COVID, our membership was about 650. We lost 20% during COVID, and when we restarted, we were really worried. A number of our activity groups had failed, and uh, we didn't know really what was going to happen. But uh, we have two income streams for the club. One is we do outings, so we have 15 to 20 of those each year, concerts, theatres, canal trips, railways, museums. And the major cost there, of course, is the bus uh, higher charge. And I've just been checking this morning, the bus company in Stafford that we use is charging the same this year as it was last year. So that's rather nice. That's good. Yeah, but yeah. The other, I'm sorry. The other um, act, um, financial stream is the 23 activity groups we have. Uh, some of those fell by the wayside, but they've now recovered and we've got some new ones on. And we have a local village hall in which most of the activities take place Uh, just by chance i'm chairman of the trustees for that and the trustee decided that last year they would halve the higher charges and they've continued that this year and that was because there was concern that covid would prevent some of these societies and regular users from actually staying afloat Mm. so this has been a great life raft that's been tossed to them and we've benefited and this second year of Half high charges has been a great benefit. So well done to the trustees and the chairman in particular of the, <laughs> the local village yeah. hall for helping us out. Oh that's
1: good. That's great news. That's Jeremy Wheeler there from the Stafford Bolton Phoenix Activities Clubs. Right, let's speak to the man who's done one better, Jeremy Newcomb, was the treasurer of the Newton Abbott Rotary Club. He's now the presidents.
3: How's your budget looking, Jeremy? It's uh, but budget's good. Um I mean it's interesting times we live in, isn't it? And yeah, uh, what we found is that um, through the pandemic, where we weren't able to meet as a Rotary Club, we met by Zoom. So Zoom's been brilliant. Like most clubs, have benefited from that. But we also um, we did things like um, looking after the local vaccination centre with car parking duties and things like that within our community, and that gave us a very good profile within our area, uh, and it's led to an incredibly um, well, a, a very big um, growth in our membership. So our club's healthier now than it's ever been. I think it's interesting to think why that should be the case. But I do think that following the difficulties and with the difficult economic situation, people actually want to find avenues in which they can give some sort of service back, you know, rather than sort of sitting and uh, and waiting for other people to do things to actually get involved themselves. So um, we've 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 got a very healthy club at the moment and oh, a very good. good membership and we're very active. Uh, but- we do find in terms of uh, you know, how the economic situation has affected the people we come in contact with. We support our local food banks. We have two in our uh, area. Course, and yeah. they clearly have needed our support over the last nine to 12 months. And that will continue.
1: But well, it well, is you're... it is brilliant work that the uh, the Rotary uh, clubs do right across the country. Right, funny. I want to come you all. Uh, I'm, I'm slightly struck. Actually, Jeremy Hunt didn't make it to prime minister. Nor did uh, Nor did Jeremy Corbyn. I want to say something about the name. Uh, one word answers. Would you Would you swap with Jeremy Hunt? Would you like to be Chancellor Jeremy Hewlett? Yes. Jeremy Wheeler. Would you like to be Chancellor?
6: I don't think so. I've got some ideas how to boost the economy, but. Uh you might think
1: they're frivolous. so <laughs> <laughs> I think you wouldn't catch us doing anything frivolous on this show. Jeremy Newcombe, do you want to be Chancellor?
3: Absolutely no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very good. And finally, Jeremy J. Lee, are you there?
4: I am, sorry. I, I said no, man. No, absolutely fine. Absolutely not. But
1: you have got... Tell us about... You've got a concert coming up?
4: We absolutely do. So on the 25th of March, which is a week Saturday at 7.30 in St Andrew's Church in Burgess Hill, Sussex Chorus is singing Svorak's Starbat Martyr. It's a really, really interesting work. I think I would describe it as just about clinging on in terms of the (laughs) common repertoire of of, of choral works. It's not sung anywhere near as much as it should be. Really great concert! Please do come and join us.
1: Well, there we are. Well, maybe maybe some of the other uh, the, the groups, the activity group, could come down and they can go and visit the River, river Style. That's excellent. Uh, Jeremy Hewlett from uh, Spitfire Boat Club. Jeremy Jayley uh, from the Sussex Chorus. Jeremy Wheeler from the Stafford Walton Phoenix Activities Club. Uh, Jeremy Newcombe from Newton Abbott Rotary Club. Uh, they were all of our Jeremys. That was going on a Jeremy Hunt. Right, up next is The Columnists. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, it's Alibert. We say a very good morning to Alice Thompson. Morning. Morning. And to Robert Crampton. Morning. 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 Nice to have you both here. Yeah. Still laughing at being called mm. Alibert.
2: Yes, yeah, still laughing, yeah. We yeah, like yeah. it now. Despite yeah, taking an hour and a half to get to work.
7: Mm. Tribute yeah.
2: act. Did you walk in? Got a succession of buses and then eventually just walked. Yeah. Was it is that because of trains? Yeah, so they've laid on loads of more buses. Oh, there's no tubes. <laughs> no there, tubes. So tubes. put on loads of buses, so the streets are just uh, jam packed with empty buses. <laughs> really, nose to tail. Well, it's a beautiful day, though. Yes, it's it's lovely it.
1: day. It's fine. Yeah. very good. Uh, right, uh, before we get on to the important business of who it was that Robert dressed up as, uh, <laughs> let's instead let's talk first about uh, Alice's Common uh, in the Times Today, which is all about uh, playing truant. Uh, Bunking off school isn't clever, it's selfish.
7: Yeah, someone who got expelled from school—that sounds a bit harsh. But um, and my mother was a headmistress. But were, you, were, I, you,
1: were you expelled for bunking off?
7: Uh, well, no, it's, we, it's, more, serious it's more serious than that. We don't really discuss <laughs> that. Okay, fine,
1: we don't get it, as that you that. know. Yeah.
7: But I would say that I used to watch *Forest Bueller's Day Off*, which was obviously my favourite film when I was eighteen and it had just come out, because that was the kind of person I was. And the idea the bunking of bunking off school and uh, being in a fast Ferrari and crashing everything and going to museums and restaurants and pretending to your parents that you were ill was great. And now I really sympathise with the headmaster because. Actually, it's amazing. He spends an entire day trying to get this one pupil back again. (laughs) Uh, And he's got his ginger with a moustache and he's just, you know, he's a legend, isn't he? Because... And I think that's what I feel now, is that children are bunking off a lot now since uh, the pandemic. Partly it's because their parents are often at home. Partly it's because they're used to not being at school. A lot of them are nervous and worried and anxious, and that's quite understandable. But some of them have just got very used to, you know, if it's a sunny day, they go to the beach. If it's their birthday, they can't quite be bothered. And 23% of secondary school children have taken more than 10% of school off in the last year.
1: And uh, you were also comment about a piece by Molly Gunn, who wrote for The Times last week saying that parents like her work from home on Teams and Zoom calls, can't be bothered to get their children up every day, iron the uniforms and do the school run, and so they just give them pyjama days off.
7: Well, she actually took her children out for six weeks to go to Ibiza uh, and then she takes them regularly for riding or off to the beach or she says it's cruelty to take them uh, into school when it's their birthday. Um, So I think she's quite an extreme
1: version. you don't totally agree with?
7: No, I think you should go to school (laughs) on your birthday. Because actually, my big problem, and what I've been running back in the column, is that employers are going to find it very difficult if an entire generation don't bother to turn up when they don't feel like it. And that is a real issue. So if we're talking about the budget today and we're talking about productivity, you've got another generation coming down the line, Generation Z, who, if they never you know, go to school if they're not feeling like it, or they're a bit tired, or actually it's a bit wet outside, or they're feeling a bit down, then <laughs> the employers are going to yeah, find yeah. that incredibly difficult. So part of school is getting into a routine.
2: Yeah, get up, put your trousers on, Robert. Yeah, I mean, we take the sort of social contract for granted, don't we, that we all we all to send our kids to school, and we have kids get up at eight and trot off to school, and then we Go to uh, university and don't do very much, but then we go into the workforce and sort of turn up. But you have to kind of reinvigorate it with each generation. And it has. Alice is right. I think it's. Uh, I think it has been broken during the pandemic. Uh, for, in this instance, in school, but also uh, in terms of people going into work. Wasn't there a survey that said people saying if they were forced to uh, not if they weren't allowed to work from home anymore, a third of people would mm. say they'd quit which I guess you can say when you've got full employment and a labour shortage, but is not doesn't bode well really for the economy, does it? Uh, and also yeah, yeah. it's very
7: difficult for the teachers. So I know... Admittedly, they are on strike some of them today, but the, in general, when they are I don't, at there is school, a certain irony that we're talking yes. about
1: bunking off school on the day yes, when exactly. schools are shut.
7: But the, um, they have to help these children catch up. So that's the issue. It's not just your own child yeah. who will, you know, in general, you do worse in your GCSEs yeah. if you don't turn up to school.
2: Yeah. And, and once,
7: they, they know that. But I mean, then your other children then, while you're trying to catch up, these children yeah. and they're trying to work out what they've missed, other children then get, left, get behind. left behind. And so, once you
2: uh, once you do it once, you 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 break the habit and you keep doing it again and again. Let's turn our attention to interviews. By the way, you can read Alice's
1: column online right now, of course, because it's really interesting. There's quite a row going on in the comments underneath as well. Uh, Let's turn our attention to interviews Mm. because I was particularly struck by this interview that Hugh Grant did on the red carpet with ABC at the Oscars. That's excruciating.
8: Um, What are you most excited to see
7: tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited
8: to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone?
1: Um... Not... not no, no one in particular.
8: OK, well, what are you wearing tonight,
7: then?
2: Uh, just my suit. <laughs> <laughs> that's just... See, that's just rude. That's it. As I, I wrote about this yesterday, and when you deliberately misinterpret somebody's question in that way to make them look stupid... Well, she did also say, it's what ru- are you wearing, yeah. not who. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. she's... It's, it's rude. It's a light-hearted... Yeah, uh, bit of uh, fluff on the red carpet going into the Oscars. Yeah, if he didn't want to do the interview, he shouldn't have done it. Yeah. and then but then you got to play the game. Yeah, yeah, doing, yeah, I thought she did really well, Ashley uh, Graham. She did really well to keep smiling. And somebody said, for saying uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you, she should have won the Best Actress. <laughs> <I> thought, yeah, <laughs> because. Because he was anything but a pleasure. Because the
1: problem is, all these interviews are terrible. So the, 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 the one that Mo Gilligan at the Oscar, at the Brits a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. was doing the same thing when he goes down the audience. And yeah. was just saying, uh, are you having a good night? And I was like, yeah, I'm having a good yeah, night. But yeah, but if, if you're a you're proper a pro, to... it's part of the deal. Yeah, if you're
2: Tom deal. Cruise, you, you go with it, don't you? And yeah, you do yeah. selfies and you have a... And, and, I mean, it's all very silly, but if yeah, you're yeah. a proper star you, yeah, you to make to it to
7: promote your own film. Yes. Not, it's not your well,
2: film, <laughs> <laughs> Also, I suspect what actually happened was a publicist
1: grabbed hold of you, Grant, went, right, Go over there and speak to ABC. Before you knew it, it was on the telly. I thought it was quite funny. But you, yeah, you picked out some of your...
2: your... Well, it made me
1: think that I was, you know, I said,
2: you know, Ash- Ashley, I feel your pain because we've all... Uh, most celebrities hasten to add are perfectly nice people, or yeah. at least they pretend to be for the duration of the interview because that's their advantage. Uh, sometimes it goes badly wrong. I picked out a few. I think I mentioned Phil Tufnell, who didn't like me kind of questioning his Cockney Geezer credentials. His dad <laughs> owned a factory and employed about 100 people and he went to private school. Uh... And they all went badly wrong after that. The worst one was uh, Andy McDowell, uh, Hugh Grant's co-star oh, of course, in yeah. Four Weddings, who I interviewed for that film 30 yeah. years ago. And she gave me the, the Hugh Grant treatment, but that lasted for 45 minutes, oh, mon- monosyllabic. And if you think about it, if, you're, if you don't get a conversation going in these encounters, yeah. you are struggling because you're talking about asking somebody maybe 10, 15 questions a minute, if yeah. they're just saying yes or no. And there aren't that many questions you want to ask anybody. And if also, you got an interview with God, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. <laughs> you, wouldn't you wouldn't have that many questions. Yeah, you run so out really far. But yeah. also because in a print, at least if it's a TV or a radio interview, there's a
1: sense of we're in it is live. There's yeah. a sense of like, well, we're both locked in this yeah. performance now. Yes. But if it's a sit down print interview, sit down print. It's a weird. But, yes, like, and
2: it's a problem because I mean, to be fair to her, you, you know, know she had given probably ten interviews yeah, already yeah. that day for that film. You're stuck in a yeah. in a hotel suite with some succession of idiots coming through. Rather like the scene in the, in uh, Notting Hill where, oh, yeah. where he goes in and he has from Horse and Hound, that brilliant scene in Notting Hill where he has to pretend yeah. to be a journalist from Horse and Hound. It's really funny. Fantastic scene. Yeah, We've had and, some
8: other
7: people that have been really good that you have to say, Robert, sometimes people, if you're late, or I once threw up three times when I was yeah. interviewing John Major because I was pregnant. Oh, right. And he literally almost held my hair back for me. Oh. Time.
2: I threw and, up at doing at Hugh fernley Whittingstall yeah, and made breakfast. You... That was my <laughs> That was my own fault. Mine
7: wasn't my when own have you, fault.
2: <laughs> when have you been sick with a celebrity? <laughs> Texas he was very nice about it. It wasn't his fault. It's just a, yeah. a combination no, of things. So of,
7: some of them are lovely, and then it's clever of them because they know you're going to be nice about yeah, them. Yeah, you yeah. can't not be nice about them if they've been nice to you in that way.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Some people are cricketers are always tricky, and anything to yeah. do with the Royal Navy is tricky.
1: So um, when we were talking about this yesterday, because <laughs> we knew you were coming on to talk <laughs> about interviews, I started to think whenever I, I mean, apart from there was one interview who came on to do a bit of fun on the show and ended up being a bit racist, and that was difficult. Uh, but this, this one really what? stood in my mind. This oh, your was interviewee it, was racist? Li, li, yeah, yeah, the interviewee, not me. Uh, this was, I think, I think we're going to say 2017 Labour Party Conference. We did a, Lucy Fisher and I did a Facebook Live when they were a big thing. Mm. Going around the party conference, showing people what it was like behind the party conference. And uh, because we were told this is what we are supposed to do, it would be great content. And we went into the bar thinking, well, the people at the bar mid-afternoon at party conference, there was literally nobody there. Um, and then this happened. This is great. I mean, this really is great, Tully. Hello there. Excuse me. Hello, I'm from the Times. Can I just uh, talk to you about the conference?
7: Um, not really. I'm a bit busy if you don't
1: mind. Are you a Labour member?
7: I'm a Member of Parliament.
1: You're a Member of Parliament? I, I do apologise. <laughs> How do you think it's going?
7: I think it's going quite well.
1: <laughs> Unlike that interview, after I've completely <laughs> failed to, yeah. to identify the, um, I think we, stu- I, I think it was Colleen <laughs> Fletcher,
2: it turns out. Right. I ate Tony Blair's. Talking about the reader whose dog ate the sandwich. I uh I ate Tony Blair's sandwich once when he was prime minister, <laughs> was trailing him round on his good 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 uh, goodbye tour in 2007, and an aide had bought a whole load of sandwiches for the train, and I was sitting there. I'd been excluded from whatever meeting he was in, so I just thought, mm, I'll make my, plan my way through <laughs> these. And somebody said, "You've eaten the prime minister's sandwich." <laughs> there was a shocking silence. That's the title. That must be the title of your memoirs. You've eaten the part as yeah. yes. salvage. Not bad, is it? Um,
7: Great intro.
1: Alice, the Dalai Lama.
7: Yeah, so that is my worst interview. Well, actually, in a funny way, it was the best. So I interviewed the Dalai Lama uh, two or three times over the last 30 years. And it's normally in India, and it takes about 10 hours to get there. And it's mm. all kind of very exhausting. And he is like a god when you get there. And I was really... Kind of overwhelmed. Actually, we go into the palace and then we were, we were invited in. And he does actually speak English, but he has a translator. And there was a moment when he was talking, when I was being very deferential, actually, mm. and he started gesticulating, and I couldn't quite understand what he was doing. And I looked closer and closer, and I kept just shaking my head, saying, "I'm really sorry." And so I turned to the translator, and he said, "Masturbation." <laughs> and I said, "Sorry." He said, "Masturbation," and they What's... both then. Gesticulated. So well, I was, made that sign so that people I, make
2: at football matches.
7: Exactly. So, <laughs> what he was trying to explain oh. that if he were Buddhist, that was not allowed. Right. Whereas in the West, it was obviously fine. Right. I then had to explain that I felt in the West, it probably wasn't fine in public. <laughs> um, but needless so to say, not much of it got into the interview. I've just remembered. Actually,
1: one of the worst interviews I did was when I went running with Jeremy Hunt. Um, is he really fit? Yeah. So it, it was it How was Tory leadership contest in 2019. And we, I went walking with candidates around because i have done yeah. this thing. Anna i had gone walking with it. Was actually it was quite a good way to do an interview. People seemed to open up a bit more. So Andrew Ledson went walking. Matt Hancock went walking. <laughs> Rory Stewart yeah. we just walked around the park or whatever and had a chat. And then Jeremy Hunt was concerned that walking was a bit more of a Rory Stewart thing, mm. and running was more Jeremy <laughs> Hunt brand. Yeah. So. um and I thought well, that would be fun. At the time, I was training for 10K, so it was. Oh, right, All right, right, I was in so be- slightly better
2: shape. Okay.
1: And, uh, but instead of it being like a stunt, we just went on his normal morning run around right. central London <laughs> with me with a rucksack on. Right. Like huffing and puffing beret around central London, <laughs> asking what he was going to do about reforming social care. It wasn't. I felt quite sick at the end. Of, I wasn't sick, but I felt quite sick by the end. of it. I
7: remember it because you could hear uh, you. It was.
1: Yeah. It just sounded like too painful. Yeah, it sounded like a sex tape. A lot of it.
2: <laughs> I interviewed. Can I have got time for one more? Go on, very briefly. <laughs> I interviewed Michael Howard once at his house in Folkestone, and Sandra, lovely Sandra, had put on a fantastic spread for the for the media because <laughs> there were a lot of us there. And I thought, oh, well, I'll get stuck into that. I'll just go to the loo. I came back, and Adam Bolton was just licking <laughs> licking his fingers, <laughs> as, and there was a few uh, a few crumbs left on the buffet, and he looked at me as if to. Yeah, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Do not
1: leave a buffet said No. Not um, when he's there. Go on then, we definitely need this. <laughs> so for the last two, three I mean, weeks yeah, we've, we've been, been teasing, teasing it. it. We've been know, teasing know, it. Been... Robert Crampton had his hair
2: dyed. We couldn't we couldn't be told why. I'm not entirely sure why I had my hair dyed. No, I don't now. know either. Uh, I think that was my boss just doubling down <laughs> on the whole thing. Just
7: I think he asked for it. Yeah,
2: no, I didn't. I actually was, was like, it condition. Of sorry, was it the condition of you no, dressing up? I never up. wanted my hair dye. I never got oh. a problem with going oh, grey. Okay. I just always wanted those highlights. So, I reckon. Uh, Robert, who did you dress up as? Harry Styles magazine.
1: Harry Styles. Harry Styles.
2: Because you've got to be. There's no point dressing up as Jeremy Hunt, is there? It wouldn't make a lot. Of, actually, it would make a bit of a difference to me because he's very smart. But no, Harry Styles because he's very flamboyant, and he's exactly half my age. And I wanted to so, you know what it was looked look like, you know what it felt like, and looked like to be wearing. And it looked spectacular. Um,
1: the uh, photos: uh, Robert in sort of pink sequin trousers with a fur, pink fur coat. Yeah,
2: yeah so that was a lead spread. And then, know, then
1: there was a sort of my favourite one was. The, oh yeah, in fact, let's get let's get Prue, so we've got Prue, Prue White on the line. The stylist Hi. responsible, Prue, how are you?
8: I'm good, thank you. I'm afraid I'm in the studio today, so I apologise if it's a bit noisy.
1: No, it's fine. You, this is, this is, you're, a, you're a fashion professional. So um, talk us through the looks that you recreated for Robert.
8: Um, well, I mean, I was really lucky. I was uh, in Westfield when I got the call being like, of all the calls, saying, can you do Robert as Harry Styles this week? <laughs> um, and then it was a matter of, of of perusing the shops and working out the best way to represent Harry. And it's actually remarkable how easy it is to do even in some of the menswear sections although robert's robert's uh, pink sequin houses were from asos's women's wear department
1: (laughs) so this is presumably presumably Howie styles isn't wearing asos but i mean the the, how much how much did the the outfits cost then for robert
8: um a bargain i think i spent about 250 quid at h&m and I think I spent about eight hundred pounds at ASOS. Most of it went back, don't worry. Um,
2: <laughs> I never got but, to keep it. So. Yeah,
8: it was <laughs> um couldn't get those through the expenses somehow. Um but no, it was all very affordable. You can get the look very easily <laughs> yourself. I could see you in that. I know you've modelled lots now, of swimswear yourself Because
1: the Pooh, you were also responsible for me dressing up as Theresa May, weren't you?
8: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: One of our finest. Now, when you're not dressing up men from The Times to be humiliated by Nicola Gill um, d- describe some of the actual famous people that you've styled.
8: Um, I mean, well, most recently, I think we had Helena Bonham Carter in, in January on the cover of The Times magazine. We've had Danny Dyer. Um, we've done... Nigella Lawson Victoria yeah. Beckham proper celebrities but Yeah There's, there's, yeah. there's proper celebrities But you know There's something fun About getting Robert Into a pair of sequin tracks <laughs> and, and, okay,
2: Prue but. always tactfully Leaves the room While I'm struggling
1: To get these Ch- Struggling to get them in yeah. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there, of course. You can read them both in the Times every week. They're excellent columns. And if you haven't seen the pictures yet of Robert, you definitely need to go and look at them uh, dressed as Harry uh, starts. Just subscribe right now. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked.
9: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: You're listening to the Red Box podcast now. It's time for this.
2: PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire.
3: Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yeah. Patrick,
10: how are you? They're dancing on the streets of Southport on my overdue return, Matt. I'm really happy to be here, if not that excited for the budget. Well, welcome to the PMQs that really doesn't matter, even more than usual. Well, that's the interesting thing, speaking to people in... If you'll allow me to just go in with my studs up uh, to this pre-match analysis... It's a really interesting thing people around Keir Starmer have been considering. What do you do with this pointless pre-budget PMQs? You can't ask substantive questions about the economy or domestic policy because yeah. Rishi Sunak will just smile sweetly and say, well, you've got to wait for my fantastic budget yeah. in, uh, in half an hour's time. So usually Keir Starmer has chosen to use this session to put things on the record uh, different policy issues uh, that may be useful going forward that is useful to have on the record so he's used it for Saudi Arabia and uh, Yemen and Britain's links to that conflict before he's used it to ask questions about COP before indeed that's what Ed Miliband did if you remember when he filled in for PMQs when Keir Starmer tested positive uh, for Covid and had to self-isolate for the fifth time in October 2021 Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Labour Party and Keir Starmer a light on uh, what they as to what they want yeah. to get on the record this time. I suspect it might be something about
1: migration. That was interesting. Uh, let us know what you think uh, might come up if you are on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Ahoy, f- <laughs> ahoy, <laughs> ahoy! Says John. Uh, ahoy from the heart of Sherwood Forest. Uh, good morning from Indiana, says Marie. Hi from Wiltshire, says Wendy. Lou is in Pennsylvania. Morgan's in London. Uh, Andy's in Taunton. Hello, Andy. Uh, hello from Brixton, says Henry. Terry uh, says, where were, where are the students? And that excellent teacher this week, Patrick, too much of a threat. They were very good last week. We had some politics students in. They, they certainly... I run my
10: own PMQ's Unpacked Madrasa. <laughs> trying to, you know, a new generation of pundits.
1: Hello from Bedford, says Ollie. Uh, Nicola's in Z- Zurich. Any credit Swiss news, uh, do let us know, <laughs> uh, Nicola, because that might end up being the... Uh, uh, the biggest uh, story of all. Uh we've got people in Liverpool and Plymouth and Bristol and Cape Town. What's the and name of Mel- the
10: uh, Liverpoolian? Uh
1: Harlequin Dreamer.
10: I don't don't know
1: them. Is that a friend of yours? <laughs> I hope not. Uh do let us know if you are uh, if you do live in uh uh the near the house where there's a blue plaque that reveals that Patrick Maguire was born. Very few blue plaques in Southport, you know. AJP oh, well.
10: Taylor doesn't even have one. There we are. Could we do something about that? I, I, I'm trying.
1: <laughs> uh, right let us know what you think might be happening uh, we will bring you uh, the budget uh, live uh, from 12.30 Jeremy Hunt is on the front bench uh, sitting there ready to go uh, Rishi Sunak is at the dispatch box uh, I'm trying to work out who's that sitting behind um, Rishi Sunak it's slightly obscured uh, to his left
10: uh, is that Craig Williams his PPS with, no with, with, no, with
1: the... on the bench um, Michelle Dillon. Oh, it's Michelle Dillon. There we are, yeah. yeah. The Secretary of State for Science. For Science, of course she is. Of course she is. Uh, right, enough of this uh, playing of Guess Who. Uh, let's go live to the House of Commons, then. It is question number one from Keir Starmer.
11: Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, last summer, the Prime Minister claimed he wanted to protect free speech oh. and put a stop to no platforming. Oh. So how concerned was he by last week's campaign by Tory MPs to cancel a broadcaster.
3: <laughs> uh, Mr. 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 Mr.
9: Mr. Mr. Mr Speaker, as I said, as I said at the time, the issues between Gary Lineker and the BBC were for them to resolve. And I'm very glad I'm very, I'm very glad that they did, and we look forward to watching Match of the Day again on our screens
1: further confirmation that Keir Starmer's not overly bothered about this, this round of PMQs by uh, asking about a story that was in the news last week.
10: No, exactly. And I think it's a sign that uh, it's interesting how he's uh, chosen to approach the Gary Lineker question, not by talking about the inequities and inhumanity, as some Labour MPs say, of the, uh, of the government's migration policy, but basically taking the mickey out of Tory MPs. Uh, you know, it's quite clear, and this is the view of people around Keir Starmer that this isn't the uh, the biggest story of national import ever. It, it's actually an opportunity to have some fun at the expense of the Conservative Party. It'd be interesting, though, to see if he uses this to make a a bigger, uh, more serious argument about
1: the BBC and its relationship to the Conservative Party. Uh, and actually, I suppose it, it, it could go, this could go one or two ways. You're right; it could be about the BBC. It could be sort of a high-minded. Uh, debate about uh, freedom of speech or does he just use it to take the mickey out of, out of Tory MPs it's Six of questions favorite. is
10: a long uh, long old time to be doing stand-up especially if
1: you're uh, Keir Starmer know, I mean, half, of, half of my stand-up show was just working your way through Tory MPs who'd said daft things but anyway uh, of, of which there are plenty uh, let's You've go. had lots of practice Keir Starmer
10: has never done a run at the fringe has he?
1: No that is true no, true. Although, you know, Bloomsbury was my best audience. I not far from his neck of the woods. So he'd probably go down low, He's it. the MP for the. You should have given the the Bloomsbury a ticket, yeah. I don't think he'd have enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, let's go back to the House of Commons. This is Gear Star with question two.
11: Mr. Mr. Speaker, the, the, the sight of them howling with rage over a tweet, signing green ink letters in their dozens, <laughs> desperately trying to cancel a football highlight show. That should have been laughable. Instead, it led to a farcical weekend, with the national broadcast being accused of dancing to the government's tune by its own employees. Rather than blame everyone else, why doesn't he take some responsibility, stand up to his snowflake MPs, waging (laughs) war on free speech? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Totally better cheer from the Labour benches there than we get normally.
9: Mr Speaker... I, uh, Mr. Speaker, just the usual, usual political opportunism from the leader of the Labour Party. Because I don't, I don't know if he noticed. I don't know if he noticed, but actually, first the Shadow Attorney General and then the Shadow Home Secretary actually criticised the language that had been used in the tweet. But what a! T- But what a surprise, but what a surprise, what a surprise. He saw the chance to jump on a political bandwagon and changed his mind.
1: (laughs) Where to start? So uh, clearly, uh, Kirsten is is going to go down the uh, stand-up route. Uh, It's actually quite funny mocking these Tory MPs as snowflakes.
10: Yeah, it is, particularly, you know, hoisted by Lee Anderson uh, Scott Benson and Jonathan Gullis hoisted by their own petard uh, by, uh, by Keir Starmer interesting though Rishi Sunak's reply there I thought raised a, a point a serious point about uh, the Labour Party's sort of strategic muddle on the question of migration right because Rishi Sunak is right last Wednesday Yvette Cooper said on the Today programme uh, I uh, disagree with what Gerard said said it was the wrong you know it was the wrong comparison it was crass or whatever now Fast forward, Keir Starmer is treating all of this as a joke and perhaps a question primarily for the BBC and not about the Home Office, and uh, which raises the question, right, well, hang on, do you agree with Gary Liddica or not? If this is ridiculous, then why was Vivette Cooper rowing in on the side of the government last week? Are you entirely comfortable taking sides in this battle about migration? I suspect the answer is no. And if you look at the polling their target voters are picking up that up too James Johnson friend of the show yeah. uh, his firm jail partners published yesterday two word clouds one in february 2023 one in march 2023 which uh, contained all the words labour switches would be labour switches gave that made them hesitate before training their preference from tory to labour last year uh, last month it was the leader of the labour party this month it's migration so clearly the tories have succeeding yeah, yeah. in reframing the debate labour are on Clearly, feeling confident uh, in in using this PMQs, even though no one's going to pay much attention. But I think Richie Sunak right to point out that there is a sort of squeamishness still there in the Labour Party, a bit of a
1: strategic model. And the point that uh, um, Richie Sunak was talking about, Shadow Attorney General Emily Thornby, lots of very prominent Labour figures did pile in mm. to the culture war over Gary Lineker. So for Keir Stubborn to now turn up, oh, this all a big joke. And everybody needs to calm down. People are absolutely losing their mind about this uh, this stuff. Yeah, no, no. It, it, in fact, he, didn't somebody say it was like Putin's Russia <laughs> yesterday in the comments? Was that a Labour bencher? I think, anyway. That's a very good question. I will check. I think, I think somebody, uh, having said it was all a load of nonsense, likened it to Putin's Russia. I'll, um, I'll try and dig that out in just a sec. Let's go back to uh, the House of Commons
3: question number
11: three. Here's Starmer. So, Mr Speaker...
3: I'm not being funny. I think our constituents want to get to the budget. The more that you showed, the more you progressed questions. So please, my constituents interested, if yours aren't, give them Mr
11: Speaker, they want more of a Prime Minister who doesn't understand. You can disagree with what somebody says, but still defend their right to say it. He doesn't understand that. We're in a real problem. Does he accept that people's concerns about the BBC have been made worse because the government chose to put a Tory donor with no broadcasting experience in charge of the BBC yeah, 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 yeah. Prime Minister well, Mr Speaker as, as he well knows the BBC chairman was
9: appointed before I became <laughs> Prime Minister nothing to do with me he was
3: appointed he was, he was appointed and the same applies to this side this budget matters to the people of this country they will to hear it. Don't Lindsay keep questions
1: going longer the knee. Now shouting I at the Labour Labour side. Mr Speaker, of the
9: there was a rigorous, independent, and long-established process. That, that that appointment was supported by expert panel members as well as the cross as well as the cross-party DCMS select committee. Now that, it's right that process that process is being. That process is being independently reviewed by the Office for Commissioner of Public Appointments and we should allow that review to conclude.
1: Um, now, I, I feel a bit uneasy about criticising someone with no previous experience getting a broadcasting job, given how I ended up on Times Radio. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh it's interesting that, that now, having done his gags, Keir Starmer is now sort of reversing into uh, Richard Sharp and all of the revelations, thanks to the Sunday Times, about his involvement in loans to Boris Johnson uh, and his his role at the top of the BBC. Also, the
10: Labour Party criticising the BBC, it's not often you you hear that, right? Because if the BBC is under, as people would say, you know, people on the Keir Starmer side of the argument would say, well, the BBC is under threat from a... Uh, Conservative government that's seeking to, as Keir Starmer is arguing, seeking to influence its editorial output, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there is an implicit criticism of the BBC there. You know, Keir Starmer is saying people's concerns about the BBC's output, be it uh, in the form of Gary Lineker or its news output being influenced by uh, Richard Sharp or, or others it's in its hierarchy, he's saying those concerns are legitimate. So it's yeah, a very yeah. interesting gambit. I wonder if there are two... Uh, intended audiences here the bbc hierarchy and rishi sunak you know the, the nation the nation might not be listening to this but i'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. tim davie will be poring over the Hansard of this later it's interesting also to hear rishi sunak Try and wash his hands of uh, Richard Sharp. It was all entirely above board, but to be clear, it was nothing to do with yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. And, and Harry York, the uh, Sunday Times Deputy Police editor, who, along with Gabriel Pogrand uh, at the Sunday Times, has broke many of the stories mm. about Richard Sharp's role in brokering that 800 grand loan for Boris Johnson. Uh, he's just tweeted, oh dear, mistake there for Sunak to cite the DCMS Select Committee investigation when responding to Richard Sharp. A question from Keir Starmer. They've made it very clear that they were not given full facts and it is entirely unsatisfactory for ministers to cite this. As defence of his appointment, yeah, oh, it's a good point that. So, yeah, him
1: saying it all went through the select committee. So they said, "Well, we didn't they've know." They
10: said, "Well, hang on, the process is not worth the paper it's written on here."
1: Yeah, um, uh, lots of you posted comments on the uh, on the YouTube channel. Um, the most interesting have been uh, "Hello from Southport." Hey, Simon says, Patrick makes me proud to come from Southport and great to see him flying the Southport flag." At last, some recognition. Is he a, re- for the is Paris he a of relative?
10: Is he a relative of yours? Uh, is it GDPR compliant to say the surname?
1: No, it just says Stephen on there, so I don't, I don't know. I
10: don't, I don't, I'm not related to any Stevens, so uh, and, thank you. Um, is
1: there actually a flag for Southport? Uh, well, uh, there, uh, there ought to be one. I'll design one. Uh, Ken's been in touch, saying so you can hardly move for people dancing in the street <laughs> uh, in Manchester Road. It's overcast in Southport. Manchester
10: Port. Road, good pub there. The, uh, the Cock and Rabbit. <laughs> you just made that up. No, no, it's... <laughs> uh,
1: There used to be a restaurant
10: there called The Barking Frog.
1: Well, there we are. Uh, Your uh, if you've got any better pub names than the Cock and Rabbit, do oh, put and them the Mount in, Pleasant, the Mounts are very good pub. Do put them in the uh, in the in the word in the in the comments on the on the YouTube, right? Because uh, we're contractually obliged here. Let's go back to the House of Commons with whatever <laughs> question is three questions, three question four from Keir Starmer.
11: Keir Starmer, <laughs> Mr speaker. The problem is the chair of the BBC isn't just any old Tory donor. No, that's He's that's so true. close to the Prime Minister. Oh, no. Order. Mr Fabricant, I want you to be in for the budget. Cup of teas don't want to come that early. That's no Michael Fabricant, Tory MP, no being told Tory off. Donor. He's so close to the Prime Minister, he's been described as his mentor. He helped arrange an £800,000 credit line for the former Prime Minister. A minor detail, he forgot to tell the Select Committee, which scrutinised his appointment. Does the Prime Minister think that his friend's position is still tenable? <laughs> well,
9: Mitt.
11: Mr. Speaker, as I've just
9: said, the office for in- the independent office for Commissioner of Public Appointments is reviewing what was a rigorous, independent process to appoint the chairman. Instead of prejudging and preempting that review, we should let it conclude and wait for the outcome. That is the right way to do things, and that's what the government will do.
1: Independent, independent, independent—nothing to do with me. Yeah, exactly.
10: Richard, not for the first time, deferring to independent process when lots of people would say, well, hang on, the issues here are, you know, so big and obvious as to be visible from space. It's a bit of a holding line. You do get the sense that, given that Gary Lineker is staying, you wonder if
1: other big names at the BBC can retain the credibility to, yeah. to see out the day here. Interesting that the... Um, uh, the, the does the point I think his friend's position is still tenable? Because he's pointing out the Richie Sinat worked with Richard Sharp.
10: Yeah, indeed, that was the, that was the link in the first place. Yeah. They were both... Uh, Both City Boys weren't they? So, you know, uh, Keir Starmer very much trying to tar the BBC Number Ten and
1: Richard Sharp all with the same brush. brush, Yeah, yeah. Um, Just um, to go back to the point I was making a bit earlier on, uh, as uh, Keir Starmer thought it was all very funny, people getting wound up and overexcited about the Gary Lineker uh, episode yesterday. uh, Lucy Powell, Labour's Shadow Culture Secretary, said the suspension of Gary Lineker from his presenting duties is echoes of Putin's Russia. Uh, which obviously comes just days after he got into trouble for saying that it was like Nazis in the 1930s. But this, you know, Keir Starmer has tried
10: very carefully here to situate himself above such sort of uh, hyperventilating statements. But it just goes to show that Labour's message discipline, while much improved in recent months and years,
1: still leaves a bit to be desired. Yeah, yeah, And Message discipline. Ultimately, I suppose, you know, that's where you'd have an Alistair Campbell... Berating people for not towing the line, but you also need a, you also need
10: something. a message, and it's yeah, far yeah, yeah. from clear that beyond saying
1: uh, we'll
10: do this better, we <laughs> don't want to stop the boats. Uh, we we don't like to stop the boats. They as a, well, Labour, we don't
1: really, on they don't really have a policy on boats. They don't really have a policy on the BBC. Yeah. So just the why there's, the is... there's
10: a squeamishness about being seen as the party of you know the, the strategic thinkers in uh, the leader's office or the the people who are in charge of writing these messages, there's a, among some of them are yeah. squeamish about being seen as the party of Gary Lineker in the Church of England on this issue, but instinctively lots of people in the Shadow Cabinet and in the Parliamentary Labour Party, it, that's exactly the position they want to take, and I, I think
1: you see that from, uh, from, uh, from Lucy Powell there. Uh, Ken's been back in touch. The oh, cock great. and rabbit, I'd rather go on the wagon. <laughs> as well you know, the guest house is the place to be, and the Cock and Rabbit's currently having a reefer. Oh, apparently. is it? Yes, there we are. Well,
10: Ken might have to uh, eat his words. The guest house is a great pub. Next time, the Lib Dems are in Southport for Spring
1: Conference, Matt. I'll take you on a, a crawl. Are you going to York this weekend? Absolutely not. We're <laughs> 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 back to the House of Commons then. Question number five
11: from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, when people with links to the Tory party somehow find themselves in senior positions at the BBC, it's important that their impartiality is seen to be beyond reproach. So has the Prime Minister received assurances that no-one with links to the Tory party was lobbied by Tory MPs or involved in the decision that saw Match of the Day effectively cancelled?
2: Prime Minister,
11: Mr, Mr. Speaker,
9: these, as I said, these, these are matters... These are matters for the BBC to resolve. And it's right. It's right that the BBC, as an important institution, takes its obligations to impartiality seriously. I, I care about the integrity and impartiality of our institutions, the BBC, but also the civil service, Mr Speaker. And it's right that those processes carry on properly. But what I would say to him, what I would say to him on this matter, there is, there is an independent review, it's right that that process concludes, and he would, I would hope, respect that process.
1: What do we want, to respect the independent process? Um, I wonder whether Keir Starmer, although he's only got one question left, so it might not be the moment to pull it out. I don't know if he's, Is he suggesting he's got evidence of Tory MPs lobbying Tory donor to to do something about is That seems to be what he's implying.
10: It's quite possible. Also, The the Guardian overnight had a story about um, concerns within the BBC uh, moderating its coverage or telling reporters to uh, attack the Labour Party or, um, you know, change their terminology because Number 10 had said so, uh, emails exchanged between... Uh, editors during the uh, during
1: the pandemic. So it's things like when Boris Johnson announced the first lockdown, there was a message saying,
10: number don't, 10, don't, don't, call, it don't call it a lockdown. Number 10, I've asked that we don't call this a lockdown. Now, it's very interesting listening to Keir Starmer there. I think there is a message for the BBC here from Keir Starmer which is, don't expect us to come to your rescue. Uh, given that we too have serious concerns about mm. your impartiality um, and we can't be sure you're giving us a fair crack of the whip. Um, thats is, that is, I think thats that may well be what Keir's, the
1: message Keir Starmer is trying to impart to a very small audience here. Um, yes, and I suppose the, the, the big problem I suppose the BBC have is that simultaneously uh, Tory MPs carrying online as a hotbed of socialism and anti-government wokery and Labour MPs carrying on like it's a Tory mouthpiece propaganda machine. Um, I mean, I suppose some people in the, in the BBC will say, well, it shows we're doing our job probably." <laughs> but, um, but, but, but for long-term sustainability of a public broadcaster...
10: It, one, one whose funding model is under constant question, more intense questioning than ever before. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky position for them to be yeah, in yeah. if the opposition isn't four square behind you, Yeah, especially an opposition that is basically saying we, we agree with its you know, most
1: prominent star and disagree with its, uh, its leadership. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons. And the last question, uh, we've got, what, about uh, 10 minutes to go before Jeremy Hunt is up for the budget. Uh, let us know what you're expecting. What would you like to see in the budget? You can text me 8722, start me at the word Times. Tweet me at Times Radio. Uh, what do you want to see in the budget in 10 minutes' time? Now, those
11: back to the last question. This is Keir
1: Starmer in the House of Commons.
0: Keir yeah. Starmer.
11: He, he comes here today with his mealy mouth platitudes, pretending the actions of his party and nothing to do with him. Imagine being accused but of mealy-mouthed by But the whole country saw how guess, he so. kept quiet and hid behind the playground bullies while they tried to drive someone out simply for disagreeing with them. An impartial public broadcaster, free of government interference, is a crucial pillar in our country. But isn't that put at risk? By the cu- cancelled culture addicts on his benches, the BBC leadership that caves into their demands and a Prime Minister too weak to do anything about them. Well, Mr Speaker,
9: Mr. Speaker we're, we're not going to take any lectures on cancel culture from the party opposite.
7: But, but,
9: uh, you know, but we know what well, we know what this is about, and he's avoided it in six questions. They're actually the substance of the issue that this underlied, this tweet. And that's what has he done in this past week. The only thing he and his party have done is voted against our bill to stop the votes, Mr Speaker. Siding with people smugglers over the British people. That's the substance of what's happened. Instead, what have we done? Is conclude a new migration deal with France, Mr Speaker. We've managed to sign a new defence partnership with our allies, the US and Australia. We've protected British start-ups and we have boosted defence spending. And that, Mr Speaker, is what delivering for Britain looks like.
1: And there, essentially, is uh, Rishi Sunak rehearsing what he hopes will be his pitch, at the general election. I get stuff done. It's not all of it's very exciting. It's a bit, you know, bit of defence here, bit of start-ups there, but put it all together, and he's got a, he's now got a, he's now starting to shape what sounds if you don't listen too closely, a bit like a record, to, you know, to stand by.
10: Yes, exactly. Uh, something that he can stand up in twenty twenty four and say, uh, a bit done, much more to do, uh, and also incidentally doing stuff that the Labour Party would much rather not talk about. And as we were saying earlier, I think Keir Starmer was on a hiding to nothing, uh, trying to rise above the fray of the substantive debate, as Rishi Sunak said, because Rishi Sunak can always come back, especially on the sixth question, Keir Starmer has no right to reply there, obviously. Mm. Uh, But it's always going to be tricky when Keir Starmer... You know, is is neither is trying to comment on the Gary Lineker round without disagreeing or agreeing with really. the substance of what <laughs> Gary Lineker said. You know, you heard him before say you can disagree with what Gary Lineker said while defending his right to say it, but it still wasn't clear whether he yeah, yeah, yeah. A- anybody who has a view on him.
1: Gary Lineker has a view on whether or not they agree with what he said. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've got we've got uh, the budget coming in about five minutes' time. Jeremy Hype will be at the dispatch box laying out his first budget. The first budget we actually had in eighteen months because of. Despite all those statements last year, none of them were actually budgets. But we've just got time for the leader of the SNP in Westminster, Stephen Flynn.
3: Mr Speaker, on Monday, as households in Scotland were awakening to freezing temperatures, they were met with the news that the electricity grid had been upgraded in order to meet the power demands of the Prime Minister's new swimming pool. So may I ask him... Was it whilst he was taking a leisurely dip that he decided to leave households drowning in their energy bills?
4: Yeah. Prime Minister.
9: Mr. Speaker, thanks to the actions of this government, what we have provided is over £1,300 to help families with their energy bills over the last year. Now, I won't want to preempt what the Chancellor is going to say later, but this is a government that is committed to continuing to help people with the cost of living, and that's what you'll hear later
0: on. Stephen Flynn. Yeah, you don't really want, you wouldn't want to... This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: Preempt the budget by, I don't know, putting out a press release at 7 o'clock this morning, uh, which is what the Treasury did. Um, uh, this story this story about Rishi Sunak's swimming pool is just, just obviously funny, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. and politically, it's the sort of thing that people
10: might remember. Well, exactly. Given that the local council in question uh, has been curtailing the opening hours and shutting uh, swimming pools, council <laughs> swimming pools in its own area. Look, really... there's,
1: there's going to be some money in the budget for swimming pools, for local council <laughs> swimming pools. There is. I don't know if it was stuck. In that well, place, well, look, that it? may well be given it's probably a pretty
10: small amount of money yeah it is in the grand scheme of things uh, both in context and in, in in real terms you do have to wonder whether at some point in the treasury there's been a conversation
1: about this very issue That's so all we've got time for on this episode of the red box podcast don't forget you can listen to me live monday to friday 10 till 1 on times radio and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast and if you're feeling particularly nice why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from